Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm still mid-move, so there's no permanent background, and who knows how the sound's going to be this week, but I'd rather get it done and not have it be as good than not get it done at all. So uh, anyway, enough of my rambling. Let's jump in and see what awesome things have been going on in the world of retro gaming this week. First up is a pretty big one. FPGA developer Robert Pipe has just announced that he's started work on a PlayStation core for the Mister. Now there was a previous core in progress at one point, but that project kind of stalled and Robert kind of went back and did it from scratch the way he normally does with all of his reverse engineering of these consoles. And he's made some pretty decent progress so far. Now, as always, I don't want to get people's hopes up and I don't want to set unrealistic expectations. There's still no 100% guarantee that this could work with the Mister in its current form. Uh, there's still no guarantee that it'll work at all. So I definitely don't want to put any time constraints on it. I don't want to put any pressure on Robert. I, but I am very, very happy to say that it's in progress and it's looking pretty cool. So hopefully at some point, this is going to be something that we could just load up PlayStation on our mister. And, you know, overall, it's it just... It's so cool to see all of these different platforms getting ported over. So if you want more info on this thing, check out a Track 17's post that has a bunch more details on it. And of course, and as always, if you're in the position to support, please consider supporting both Robert and Sorg and any of the other developers for the Mr. Project. Um, and even if you're not in a position to support, just spread the word because that's completely free uh, and one of your friends is probably willing to sign up for it because this is just very awesome and without people like this none of it would ever ever happen so exciting news uh, i'm really interested to trying this stuff out and we'll of course keep everybody updated for uh, any major progress updates and if you want uh, like individual smaller updates definitely subscribe to the patreon Captain Jackie has just open sourced a set of 3D printed design files for a Super Nintendo plastic shell. Now, there's a few things to note about this, mostly good, but things that you should definitely know before getting into it. First, Captain Shacky has released this under the MIT open source license, which essentially means do anything you want with it, but don't go back to the creator for any problems. Like if anything bad happens, it's not Captain Shacky's fault. You're on your own, but do whatever you want with it. Next, the project is mostly finished, but Captain Shacky ran out of time. So rather than just let the project die, they decided to open source it and give it away, which is awesome. I'm always so appreciative of that. You know, if you have a project you're working on that you want to sell you know don't feel pressured to open source it but if you know it's just going to fall to the wayside or if you've run out of interest or something like that it's really good to just open source it and let the community have at it um, the only other thing to note from like a precautionary point of view is because it's not finished you're probably going to want to be somebody that knows how to tweak 3d printed design files before you get into it you might need to double check some stuff and reprint a part or you know, or tweak something, uh, and it's a complicated print, and it's going to not be a cheap print at all. So it's um, it's something that I guess I would call this expert only to start until we get some more test prints out and some people have given feedback to it and stuff like that. But overall, I just I think this is awesome for a million reasons. Like, what if you have a cracked yellow Super Nintendo, but you happen to be somebody that is good with 3D printing stuff? Here's your solution right here. Or what if you're somebody that wants to do a whole bunch of mods to your Super Nintendo, but you don't want to Swiss cheese your mint original case. So take this and design it with like 
I don't know, RCA and S-Video Jackson back, and maybe a spin of optical audio as well. Uh, you know, whatever you want to do, basically. Uh, or what if you're one of those people that does beautiful paint jobs to consoles? I have seen a bunch of yellowed Super Nintendos get gorgeous paint jobs. Uh, and, you know, I have also seen it done to mint condition Super Nintendos, which I kind of I, I kind of don't love because, you know, you can't ever really reverse that. But this is the perfect excuse to do that because you're not going to get a 3D print that looks as nice as like the Retro Game Restore clear shell that I just did a live stream about. And hopefully we'll have some more info on those soon. But I mean, it's just impossible with 3D print. But if you were somebody that wants to do a custom paint job, now you could print this out. You could sand it down and add some really cool paint to it to make it look like whatever you want. So the possibilities are pretty endless. Um, I, you know, I could talk for probably 10 times as long about all the weird stuff you could do just because you have a 3D printed case design like this. But overall, I just think it's amazing that the community is doing stuff like this for different consoles. So a giant thank you to Captain Shacky. Um, if anybody, uh, once again, I would consider this expert only, but if any expert 3D printers want to give this a try, I'm hosting the files right now on RetroRGB. If you have an updated design that you would like me to host, let me know and I'll, I'll try to put the files up there. You could also put them on Thingiverse, but there's good and bad to that too. Uh, so overall, uh, I mean, if this is something that you feel like trying out, give it a try and post your pictures online so people could see, but this is pretty cool and I'm glad we have access to stuff like this now. So this next post is a little weird. I'm going to skip to the end and then to go back and kind of go through the details. But the whole point of this post is just simply to say to people, hey, old flat panel monitors can be cool for use with retro gaming. So if you see one sitting on the side of the road or if you see a company getting rid of them or something like that, don't just immediately write it off like, ah, it's probably an old laggy flat panel. I'd rather have a CRT or a new OLED. There could potentially be some neat things that you could do with it. Um, so that's really the only point of the post. I think when I tweeted about it, some people misunderstood the purpose. That's really the only thing I'm trying to say is a lot of these old video production monitors could still be good for a bunch of reasons. And I want to show one of these reasons now. Uh, when I just moved into this house, the people that owned it before left like a 20-year-old Bose cube speaker stereo. I thought that was cool because even if it's worn out, I, I could think of 20 different things I could use that for, even if it's not a main surround sound for me. And they also left a 60-inch video wall like a digital signage presentation monitor that's mounted on the wall. And as soon as I saw it, I went... Something's got to be wrong with it. There's no way they would leave that giant, beautiful TV. And even when you walk over to one side, there was even a sticker on it that said bottom. So it was probably something that was vertically oriented. And for signage, in any time you see a giant sign or a video wall like I have here in the thumbnail, it could be any of those things. And I thought, well, let me at least look up the model number before I mess with it. And it turns out it's a 1366 by 768 display monitor, but 60 inches which means those pixels are gonna be huge. So I thought, let's mess with some scan lines and also, of course, let's lag test it and see what happens. So the I put the manual here for anybody that's interested as well as, of course, links to the RetroTank stuff just as reference. Um, but to go through what I found on the panel, it's got 22 milliseconds of lag, so about a frame and a half in all resolutions including 
interlaced resolutions. So right off the bat, that's pretty interesting for 480i. So as most people probably know, most TVs out there, not all, but most, if you send it an interlaced signal, will have three or four times the amount of lag than if you send it a progressive scan signal. Now, I kind of was limited time because of mid-move, and I want to test this thing before I pull it off the wall, so I didn't have a chance to test the analog inputs and all that other stuff. I just tested the HDMI input, but that's pretty impressive for an older TV like this. So that was pretty cool. The next thing I noticed was that it, even though the native resolution was 1366 by 768, it accepted a whole bunch of different resolutions, including up to 1200p, not 1440p though, which means that would be still totally fine if you wanted to feed it 480i, 480p, whatever else, just to try to get it, get it working. But what I really wanted to see was, what do those huge pixels look like with scan lines? Uh, if you're listening audio only, just follow the post. If you're watching on video, you're going to get an okay sense. It's probably going to get a little compressed. But when you're just playing a game, so let's say I fire up the RetroTINK 5X, I set it to its 1366 by 768 setting, and you leave it with no scan lines, because the pixels are so big, it gives you the same sense of like, a backlit Game Boy Advance. So, you know, a giant LCD checkerboard pattern across it, which is cool. You know, if you, if you love playing handheld games on a big screen, this probably would be the most perfect one for it then. But the thing that I really thought was cool was what happens when you put just standard horizontal scan lines on it. The stuff that I normally don't like at all, respectfully, it's just a preference. I'm not trying to tell you not to use them. But because there was vertical and horizontal, you get a very cool PVM-like effect. Now, for all of my fellow OCD nerds who are watching, um, I didn't spend the time to line this up and calibrate it. I really just wanted to make the point of the post of like, hey, I got this thing for free. Check out what you could do for a free, you know, with a free LCD. So I don't think this picture is lined up perfectly, but it's it just looks really cool. It looks like a PVM, and it did in person too. It absolutely, when I was playing Sonic on it, felt like, wow, this is like this kind of looks like CRT esque. So not only that though, um, the other thing I found pretty interesting was what didn't look good on it. So those scan lines that Mike added to the RetroTINK 5X that I absolutely loved on my OLED kind of look terrible on this. Obviously, I'm not shitting on Mike. I'm just, I'm talking about how interesting it is that because it already has, you know, a full grid pattern scan lines, adding another one over it didn't line up. So it doesn't make it look more CRT-like. It just kind of looks like a mess, um, which is, you know, Maybe if you find one of these and it's not the same exact model that I tested, it'll look different. But the point is that, you know, it, it's just something that was very unexpected to me that I thought was worth looking into. And even uh, the RetroTINK 2X SCART looked great with its basic scan lines. Now, you could definitely tell the difference between running it at its native resolution versus 480p, but it still was pretty cool. So the point stands in that, like, hey, you know, if you find one of these and you already have ways to play on a flat panel give it a try. Um, they're pretty heavy, but I mean, I think if anybody is in retro gaming, they're probably used to CRTs. So a hundred pound monitor probably isn't that big a deal, comparatively speaking. The only thing wrong with this one though, that's definitely wrong with it, is there is a line of dead pixels going down the left-hand side, which is probably why they left it here, which is probably why they, maybe they got it for free in the first place. Um, and if you're playing in uh, 1080p 5x mode with 320 square pixels, 
it does cut into the overscan area, but if you're playing in every other mode, it doesn't. So I just wanted to make that point as well, in that here's technically a broken TV that's very outdated that you wouldn't want to watch TV on that works perfect for 4x3 retro stuff. So, um, you know, hopefully I'll have the ability to save this. I got to get it out of this room tomorrow. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to like wrap it in plastic and stick it in my shed or something like that. But uh, I just, I, I definitely want to do more videos about stuff like this because I'm always talking about finding free CRTs laying around that you can make into great retro gaming stuff. But the time's passing for that. You know, soon you're not going to be able to find that as often, if at all. But you're probably going to start to find video walls laying on the side of the road these days. And if you find a low resolution one like this, it could very well be worth taking a look at. So I was considering doing a full 10 minute video on it, but I just don't even have time to breathe lately. So consider this the mini, mini video on it. But please check out the post. And once again, you know, this is not a post about let me make sure I can calibrate this to look perfectly. It was just a post about hey, this thing could really work for you. If you find one for free, it's definitely worth taking the time to at least look into. So hopefully I was able to introduce some people to some weird and interesting new display stuff that they might be able to use for retro. There's now an optical drive emulator for the FM Towns PC. And I think most people listening would have at least heard the name FM Towns Marty talking about the oddly named video game console that's CD based. But I don't know how many people have actually heard of the PC of that, so FM Towns PC. And Dunin, the creator of the FM Towns Marty's optical drive emulator, has now made one for the PC as well. And it's pretty much fully compatible. It adds a ton of features like fast loading and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I believe he's calling it the Gray Tower Wizard. Uh, so I'm assuming that's related to the gray PC tower for it. Um, unfortunately though, you probably are gonna have to jump through the same hoops that you did for the other Dunin products. I believe it was the FM Downs Marty that you had to provide your serial number of your console in order to be able to purchase it between 3 and 3.01 a.m. on a Tuesday, you know, when the moon's aligned with the sun and, and he's in a good mood. I don't know, I'm, I'm not a fan of his customer service. Excellent products, definitely excellent. You know, I've never said negative things about the products, but, um, so I guess if you have an FM Towns PC and you're looking to have an optical drive emulator for it, I guess I would take a deep breath and prepare to jump through some pretty ridiculous hoops to purchase it. But the price should be fair and the functionality and performance should be good. So definitely check out Samson's post on this if you want more info. Uh, all of the details are in there. And, you know, regardless of any weird scene drama uh, involved in buying these things, I am a huge fan of anybody that takes the time to add functionality to stuff like this especially when it comes to stuff like CD-ROM drives, because the drives aren't going to last forever, the discs aren't going to last forever, and before you know it, we're not going to have the ability to use them. It's probably going to be one of those things that creeps up on us. So the fact that we have the ability to use this stuff is awesome, and I'm definitely glad somebody's paying attention to all of the stuff out there, not just the most popular, but even some of the, the cool fringe stuff that didn't sell nearly as many as the mainstream, but now you still have an ODE for it. Dan Mons just posted a very awesome article that goes through the history, or most of the history at least, of how people figured out that the RGB color palette from PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16s didn't match what it was supposed to look like. Um, before I talk about this, I gotta preface it with two things. 
First of all, there's no way I'm going to do Dan's post justice, so please check it out if you're interested in this. And also, I owe everybody who is involved in this a giant apology, because I've been following this since I first talked to Risha about it, I mean, I think over a year ago now, and I talked about it so much behind the scenes that I assumed that I wrote it up and talked about it on the podcast, and I totally let that slip. So my my sincere and deep apologies to every person that was involved in this. Uh, but the summary of what this is all about is the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics consoles, I'll just call it PC Engine from now on to make it easier to say, but the way they were designed, they only really have composite video output, and that's how all the games were designed to be played on. Uh, and that's how the colors were designed to be generated. Basically, it went through all of the chips and it went through a lookup table and LUT, and it was able to convert the colors into the correct way that it would be displayed on a TV. And the best example of what, what would happen with this is the sky in, I believe it's um, Startling Chronicles 2, Startling Odyssey 2, sorry, uh, where anybody watching on video, you can see there's different color gradients in the sky as well as different colors themselves versus direct RGB output. And that's because the direct RGB bypasses all of that stuff and you just get the raw color output, which technically was wrong. Um, now, this is one of these things where, you know, you could argue preference and stuff like that, but I would be willing to bet that the developers of all of these PC Engine games tested them with composite video out um, even when they were designing them on PCs and getting everything written up, I think the testing and the intent was always to be displayed through composite video with that color palette. So many games that we're playing through RGB look a lot sharper, but technically look wrong. And this is something that uh, that I never would have guessed and never would have noticed because I didn't really grow up with the Turbo Graphics. So uh, I would just been playing it in RGB since I started Retro RGB and always thought it looked awesome because I didn't know any better. And now an awesome team of people have taken a lot of time to go through uh, and really figure out exactly what it's doing, how it's doing it. Um, and I think there was a lot of testing, a lot of speculation. Uh, I Dave Shadoff... Risha, Artemio, Bernie, uh, I think Tian Fong. There's a long list of people that Dan uh, very awesomely went through and got all of them. Kind of figured most of this stuff out. And it was kind of at a point where it was getting to, all right, I think we know it's getting closer. It's certainly better. Uh, but then Furtech came around and recapped or decapped one of the chips that's used in this and was able to reverse engineer it to tell exactly the lookup table that was being used in order to, to translate the color palette over to it. So because of that, now they're able to use math to get the exact color palette through RGB. Now, this has been part of Mr. for months now, which is why I thought I already wrote it up. Uh, so now it's, I believe it's the default palette. So anybody who's been playing through Mr., whether it's you know RGB analog or whether it's on HDMI, have been getting the correct colors. And the new SSD S3 HD minus 12, I don't, I don't remember what that thing's called. The awesome new Terra Onion product that I really liked that I talked about a few weeks ago. Um, that, because it pulls the video signals digitally, is able to change the colors in both RGB and in HDMI. If I remember correctly, you have to set it manually for each analog and digital output. But at the moment, that's the only way to get the true color palette 
but through the sharper video uh, video signals. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be an internal mod, and if there is, it might be just way too expensive and complicated. You might just be better off getting the new Teronian SSD thing because um, it, it's just a plug-and-play device that works. That kind of leaves Duo owners stuck using composite if you want to use the original color palette, but... Um, you know, this is just very awesome for preservation, for accuracy, and some of the games genuinely look better. I know that's subjective, I, I get that, but I, I could definitely say that some of the ones that I'd seen, it, it's just kind of obvious. And Startling Odyssey 2 is, is probably the best example because you just miss an entire section of sky in the background. Uh, so, like I opened with, I did not do Jan Dan's post Justice, you're going to have to read this yourself if you're interested. He did a much better job explaining this than I did uh, talking about it. But I hope the very basics got through. If you're playing on RGB or, or HDMI or, or basically anything other than composite video, you're probably not seeing the correct colors of your PC Engine or Turbo Graphics, with the only exceptions at the moment being the Mister and the new SSD S3 HD thing. So if you're a fan of those consoles, definitely read this post and check out all of the tremendous amount of work that went into this uh, and check out some of the pictures. And if you have the ability to use emulation or anything like that, flip back and forth to see. And I think you'd be very impressed with what the team came up with. So I, I just, um, it's always so amazing to see people come up with stuff like this and figure out these problems. So thank you to absolutely everybody involved. And once again, I honestly thought I already talked about this on a podcast. So my apologies for not highlighting the whole team behind it right when this was first announced. This next thing is really for modders only, but a lot of modders listen to this, and I thought other people who might be listening might find it cool too, so I wanted to talk about it. Retro Onyx, which is Kevin Mellett, the creator of the Hyperflash 32 and about 50 other awesome things that I talk about on the podcast all the time, has created a way to flip the orientation of Virtual Boy cartridges when you're consolizing it. So once again, this is probably for experts only or modders only, whatever you want to say, um, and it's only designed for people who consolize their broken Virtual Boy because please don't consolize perfectly good virtual boys. But um, the problem with it, or problem complaint, I guess is a better word, once you consolize a virtual boy, is that the label is facing down. So not only do you is it convenience, because you can't see what game you've left in it, but it's also aesthetics. You know, it's really nice to see that, especially if you have the Hyper Flash 32 with a beautiful e-ink screen on there. So Kevin designed a board that you have to assemble yourself and uh, you basically just use that to flip the orientation around. So you could have a top-loading cartridge and have that displayed with the e-ink screen or the original label facing you. Um, and I think there's a few other tricks that you could use this for. So I don't want to talk too much about it because this is really modder-focused. But if you were about to get your uh, virtual, your broken Virtual Boy consolized, or if you're a modder who does this for people, now you have another pretty neat option uh, that you could offer. And you know, I think this is one of these everybody wins kind of scenarios. If people want this feature, you know. Kevin makes a few bucks, the modder makes a few extra bucks, and the person who gets it uh, gets something pretty unique and different and has something that, that displays a little bit nicer because you could see it. So if you're into this stuff, please check out the post and Kevin's page, and I will always keep people updated on this weird and different stuff. And speaking of the Virtual Boy, most of us have probably been doing it wrong. 
The people on the Planet Virtual Boy Discord and forums have found a manual that shows the proper orientation of the Virtual Boy stand. And I think most of us have had our stands mounted backwards. Um, when I say backwards, the best way to describe it would be the points of the stand facing towards you and the Nintendo logo on the jewel piece in the middle facing away from you. And that's wrong. And apparently, not only did we get it wrong, but some official Nintendo publications got it wrong as well, which kind of threw everybody for a loop all of these years. So in the post, I have the quote and the picture of the manual that was uploaded to show, but I also showed a picture of an official Nintendo ad that Nintendo took out in a magazine that shows it wrong. But I also showed another official Nintendo ad in a Blockbuster magazine that showed it correctly. So the speculation was that uh, photographers probably wanted to display the Nintendo logo in every picture. So they, because the original stand can be oriented either way, they probably did it so they just, whatever, whatever direction the Virtual Boy was facing, they added the logo that way so that it could come out in the pictures, which makes absolutely perfect sense. It's probably something I would do if I was the one taking the picture. In fact, it was what I did when I took the picture. Um, and it's also strange because some third-party replacement stands only fit the correct way, not both ways. So they, the third-party stands paid attention to the orientation, but some of us didn't. Funny enough, too, Evan Amos's picture on Wikipedia. Evan is the photographer um, that did all of those amazing photos of consoles that are on that are pretty much used by everybody, including every picture on retro RGB that I didn't take. Pretty much as Evan's, uh, even Evan took the picture for the same reason. You know, it's the photographer's view of it. You want the, the Nintendo logo. Uh, you want it oriented the way that looks nice in the picture. So this is one of these things. If you're doing it wrong, should you change how you do it? Nah, this isn't a safety thing. This isn't like using improperly built cartridges. Um, you know, this isn't uh, like using laggy scalers that takes away from the experience. This really is just one of those things that, you know, I, there's supposedly a right way, but I, I don't think it matters at all. I'm going to be doing it the correct way from now on, just because it's going to drive me nuts if I don't, now that I know there's a correct orientation. But I just, I I had fun writing this. I had fun, I'm having fun talking about it now. It's just one of these fun little things where it's like, huh, we were doing it wrong all this time and never even knew. I mean, it doesn't matter, but I just thought this was a fun one. So if you're a Virtual Boy owner, try flipping your stand around and seeing if you notice a difference either way. Um, but either, you know, however you use it, I'm sure it's fine, but I was just very amused by all of this. So thanks as always to Planet Virtual Boy for keeping us all in the loop of, of the, the critically important Virtual Boy related stuff. Well, that's it for this week. Before I go, I definitely want to give a shout out to the entire New York crew that I've gotten to know over the five years that I lived there. Um, it's kind of a, a funny story, but I was reading the comments of my video one time and I saw a comment from somebody named Jose talking about this place in Brooklyn where they have a bunch of RGB monitors and do stuff like this. And I called up cousin Scott and was like, Hey, you want to go meet this internet weirdo and see if he's a serial killer or if they're actually doing this stuff. Uh, we showed up at original iFix machine, uh, and met basically half the New York crew that, that I talk about all the time there, all because Jose just 
posted in a in a comment one time and said come on down and check it out and they have completely changed retro rgb the things that i do uh like how i approach a lot of this stuff I, i'm just so eternally grateful to all of those amazing people for just being so freaking cool and you know making me feel welcome which is weird for me because i'm always like the odd man out everywhere my entire life uh and you know i got a little emo today because today the day that i'm recording this uh was the final day in the apartment you know we got the house we started moving stuff over and today was the day where it was like the final stuff gets moved out the final time looking out my balcony on that gorgeous view that i never thought i would ever be able to see ever in my entire life <laughs> Like, I never thought I'd live in a place like that, let alone, you know, get to enjoy it so much. Um, and it was definitely, you know, mixed emotions, because I'm always the person that, like, I appreciate what I did, but I like to live in the moment and, like, look to the future. But I, I had to just take a moment to walk around that apartment today and go, man, what a cool freaking five years it's been here. You know, the people made it amazing. The view was pretty darn amazing, too. But like, even the people in my building were great. The, uh, the super of the building gave me a giant bear hug when I was leaving today. You know, this is like a, a tough guy. He kind of got sad that we were leaving. So it's, uh, you know, an emotional day in a good way, if you will. So I just had to take a moment to just thank all of the amazing people out there. And I'm going to forget. I'm, I know I'm going to forget names. It's not intentional. I'm so freaking sorry. But a giant shout out to Jose, to Arturo, to Carsey, to Beast to Destiny and Joey um, to Steve Esteban from Brooklyn Video Games to the whole KOF crew that hangs out down there. Uh, all of those dudes are awesome. Uh, ben from iFix Retro. There's just so many cool people. I know I'm forgetting more. I'm so sorry. I feel like a total ass. I'm sure as soon as I hit stop on this and and start uploading it, I'm gonna go. Oh, I forgot this person and that person and the other person. And you know, my my apologies. I'm just. Uh, I'm not firing on all cylinders today. I'm tired and a bit emo. So I had to take a moment to just thank everybody. Um, I'm not going to lose touch with them. Obviously, I'm only like an hour away, which depending on when you leave might actually be shorter than taking the subway to meet up with uh, with these friends. But, uh, you know, just the weird day that I had, I had to take a moment to just kind of thank everybody and say, you know, what an awesome ride that was. And I'm absolutely going to miss it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it. I don't want to, I don't live in the past, but I hopefully going to have time to do a room tour. Uh, cause I shot footage of the apartment right before the packing got too crazy. So there's boxes and stuff, but not too bad. And I'm going to see if I have time to post that like this week or something, just to show everybody how I used to work, the tiny little space I used to work in and, uh, the view that I was so lucky that I got to look out of. Cause I got to say, I'd, I'd absolutely live in a shoebox again, uh, if I got to look at that view, but I'm certainly looking forward to, to having an office the size of the entire apartment right here. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop, uh, I'll stop rambling about something most of you probably don't care about, but hopefully I'll be able to post a room tour and just kind of give everybody a glimpse into that apartment and how I used to work and, you know, what I, the monitors I used to have to climb over just to get to my couch and stuff like that. And, you know, one, one final time, thank everybody in New York who's part of that scene, part of the arcade scene, part of the retro scene, all of that stuff. Just thank you all so much for being so freaking awesome. I owe all of you and uh, I'll never forget it. And I'll 
I'll spend the rest of my life trying to pay all of you back for being so freaking cool to me and for the rest of the community because everything I learned from you, I, uh, I try to share with the rest of us. So thank you all very much. And as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially people that support on platforms like Patreon and Floatplane because it's your support that's keeping the website, all of the behind the scenes research, the podcasts, and all the other crazy dev stuff I'm involved in going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.